Hello everybody and welcome back to our Evaluating Modern Theology series. I'm sure everybody has been sitting at the edge of their chair with bated breath ever since I blew up on Mr. Tillich, who decided that uh, Karl Marx was a part of his theological tradition. Yes, by the way, you can look it up. Mr. Tillich was an avowed Marxist. As if he couldn't get bad enough. But today, we're going to fly through some more of his Reason and Revelation chapter because there's a lot of it where he doesn't make sense. Or he technically does make sense, but not in the context of systematic theology. A Lutheran theologian should be able to look at his Bible and say, Okay, here is what the Bible says. I believe it. Let me teach what it says to other people. Tillich is absolutely incapable of doing that. For that matter, he's incapable of standard Roman Catholic theology or Baptist theology, which might have an element of reason in it. Let me give you some examples here where he just can't help himself. The depth of reason is the expression of something that is not reason, but which precedes reason and is manifest through it. Reason, in both its objective and its subjective structures, points to something which appears in these structures, but which transcends them in power and meaning. This is not another field of reason which could progressively be discovered and expressed, but it is that which is expressed through every rational expression. It could be called the substance which appears in the rational structure or being itself which is manifest in the logos of being or the ground which is creative in every rational creation or the abyss which cannot be exhausted by any creation or by any totality of them, or the infinite potentiality of being and meaning which pours into the rational structures of mind and reality, actualizing and transforming them. Now, we pointed out earlier that Mr. Tillich has a kind of mind science cult aspect to his thought. He really does believe that human reason, to a certain extent, does create reality. The god of liberal Christianity is humanity. They worship mankind. Paul Tillich's writings is just the closest any of them have ever gotten to admitting that. But with that, you have to ask, well, okay, if my reason creates or actualizes reality, how does that occur? So then he has to throw out a massive word salad that essentially means there is a kind of pre-reason thingy substance, a being itself or something, that manifests through reason, a core of a human being, a ding on sich. This is not doing theology. Even if you try to claim it's doing anthropology, which is originally a branch of theology. What is the theology concerning mankind? Tillich isn't doing that. He's following after Kant. 
He's following after uh, Heidegger. He's following after all these philosophers who want to get at the very root, the essence, the core of what a human being is. And this has nothing to do with what the Bible says. This has nothing to do with a theological take on what humanity is. At least not a Christian one. If humanity is your God, indeed, this sort of writing is theological, in a manner of speaking. But Mr. Tillich, he's never going to just say that he worships mankind. He's just going to imply it as he obsesses over things like reason. So skipping on ahead a little bit here, we get to his reason in existence section, where he says... Reason as the structure of mind and reality is actual in the processes of being, existence, and life. Being is finite, existence is self-contradictory, and life is ambiguous. See parts two through four. Actual reason participates in these characteristics of reality. Actual reason moves through finite categories, through self-destructive conflicts, through ambiguities, and through the quest for what is unambiguous, beyond conflict, and beyond bondage to the categories. What is Mr. Tillich saying? Reason seems to be some sort of tool that we use with our pre-reason, our ding-on-sick of ourselves, to get through this horrible existential angst that we feel. Oh my goodness, my existence is self-contradictory and my life is ambiguous. Better use my reason to find things that make sense of the world, and so forth. We cannot forget that Mr. Tillich takes a fundamentally existentialist approach to, well, everything. He is going to look at everything through a lens which says existence precedes essence, and he is going to try to take angst and anxiety as some sort of primal problem that our reason has to solve, our decisions need to interact with, and so forth. Hence him saying, see parts two through four, just read a whole flippin' book to get at what he's saying. We'll get to those parts eventually and respond to them, but I'm not seeing normal Christian theology here, are you? I'm seeing philosophy. In case anybody disbelieves me when I cite Kant as someone who inspires Mr. Tillich, here's how he shores up this idea of reason as the structure of mind and reality. The nature of finite reason is described in classical form by Nicolaus Cusanus and Immanuel Kant. The former speaks of the docta ignorantia, the learned ignorance, which acknowledges the finitude of man's cognitive reason and its inability to grasp its own infinite ground. But in recognizing this situation, man is at the same time aware of the infinite, which is present in everything finite, though infinitely transcending it. Oh my goodness. So he brings up Kant. He brings up Kusanis. 
And here we also see him discussing Kant with critical ignorance. Kant's critical ignorance describes the finitude of reason as clearly as the learned ignorance of Nicolaus Cusanus. The difference, however, is that in Cusanus, Catholic mysticism points to an intuitive union with the ground and abyss of reason, while in Kant, Protestant criticism restricts reason to the acceptance of the unconditional imper imperative as the only approach to reality itself. In post-Kantian metaphysics, reason forgot its bondage to the categories of finitude, but this self-elevation to divine dignity brought on dethronement and contempt of reason and made the victory of one of its functions over all the others possible. The fall of a deified reason after Hegel contributed decisively to the enthronement of technical reason in our time and to the loss of universality in the depth of ontological reason. Ah, that's right. Come for the theology and leave the lecture when it's really just a history of philosophy course. Let's TLDR that by saying, okay, so Kant wrote the critique of pure reason, which went against Enlightenment ideas, but post-Kantian skepticism really only dethroned certain expressions of reason, while technical reason, you know, engineering, the sciences, etc., that continued to flourish because it was getting results. It only introduced more religious skepticism, unfortunately, but then Hegel shows up and gums it up worse. Done. I'm still not hearing, thus saith the Lord, as a theologian and a pastor, one occupies the office of prophet. You speak on behalf of God. You are his spokesman. And if you are not saying, thus saith the Lord, this is what the word of God is to you, you're not really a Christian theologian or pastor. What you are, in the case of Tillich, is a humanolater, or an anthropolater, somebody who worships mankind, obsessing over philosophy. Now, in light of thus saith the Lord, one problem with that is ambiguity. And Mr. Tillich has a lot to say about ambiguity in terms of relativism, or autonomy versus heteronomy self-rule versus strange or other rule. Let's get into that a little bit. Under the conditions of existence, the structural elements of reason move against each other. Although never completely separated, they fall into self-destructive conflicts which cannot be solved on the basis of actual reason. A description of these conflicts must replace the popular religious or theological attacks on the weakness or blindness of reason. The self-criticism of reason in the light of revelation penetrates much deeper and is considerably more rational 
than these inarticulate and often merely emotional attacks. Oh, Mr. Tillich fighting back against the very Lutheran project when I cite Luther saying reason is a prostitute that goes after the highest bidder. He's saying, oh, no, 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 you see, I have shown you all these individual philosophers throughout history that demonstrated the weakness of reason through existential lenses. And that's so much more reasonable than Luther merely and emotionally saying that reason and logic are a prostitute. How silly, how stupid, how unreasonable. <laughs> Here's the problem with that. Using reason to attack reason will only show further that reason has limitations. If I attack its weakness in any way, shape, or form, even if it is a bad, emotionally driven attack, I am still demonstrating the weakness of human reason because my reason failed to grasp the real weakness of reason. I hope I'm making sense here. If somebody attacks reason using reason, if they are showing logically that there are limitations to reason, they are self-evidently correct. But if I or someone else attacks reason through a different vector, like emotion or morality, even if you claim that that is illogical and wrong, if that's really the case, then I have demonstrated the limitations of my reason because I failed to attack reason reasonably. Mr. Tillich doesn't like this very much. The polarity of structure and depth within reason produces a conflict between autonomous and heteronomous reason under the conditions of existence. Out of this conflict arises the quest for theonomy. The polarity of the static and dynamic elements of reason produces a conflict between absolutism and relativism of reason under the conditions of existence. This conflict leads to the quest for the concrete absolute. The polarity of the formal and emotional elements of reason produces the conflict between formalism and irrationalism of reason under the conditions of existence. Out of this conflict arises the quest for the union of form and mystery. In all three cases, reason is driven to the quest for revelation. In other words, Mr. Tillich sees an existential battle being solved by quote-unquote theonomy. He doesn't mean theonomy in the R.J. Rush Dooney sense, where everything is about God's law, God's law applied to the civic sphere, etc. He's saying there is autonomy, self-law, you do things your own way and discover things your own way. Then there's heteronomy, the law of others, or the strange law that comes in and attempts to influence you. So there is a quest for theonomy, God said it, that is the truth, something outside ourselves which settles the matter and ends the angst. 
In part, this sounds a little bit like the history of philosophy. When you had the pre-Socratic philosophers trying to figure out what is the essence of everything and how does the universe work, what's our metaphysics, what's our ethics, they eventually devolved into skepticism and nihilism, out of which comes Socrates and Plato to counteract that skepticism and nihilism with pure reason, trying to figure things out. And yes, they did appeal to a certain kind of god, what the Timaeus describes as a monad and a demiurge, which creates based on the thoughts of the monad. That's also how we get Gnosticism. But you can't forget that Mr. Tillich is not a Socratic thinker. He's not a Platonic thinker. He loves him some 19th century fart-sniffing Hegel Kant everybody in the German milieu that made it their life's mission to try to destroy the Christian faith with insane levels of skepticism. When he is saying all of these things about Oh, seeking theonomy as a relaxation of the angst that comes from autonomy versus heteronomy and absolutes versus relativism. What he is saying is, you, by the way, oh Christian, are a product of mental anguish and nothing more. I bet you anything Mr. Tillich read Feuerbach. Feuerbach was the German philosopher who believed that mankind created God out of desires. Mankind figured, this is what I would like God to be, this is how I want things, and I want to go to heaven when I die, so I am going to make up the faith. Therefore, religion came into the world. Of course, Feuerbach was wrong to a veritably silly level of wrong, but Mr. Tillich would only disagree with him in terms of motivation. Mr. Tillich says that we want God so that we can have a final answer to the questions of life and the bad feelings in our heads when we're confused between absolutes and relatives. One person told me one plus one equals two. And then his friend said, well, that might be your truth, but my truth is different. And I don't need, I don't know what to do. I need God to tell me which it is. <sighs> yes, Mr. Tillich really thinks that that is the origin of the quest, quote unquote, for theonomy. For God to step in and say, I'm infinite, I'm omniscient, here's the answer, done. Now, maybe there's some truth to that, given how philosophers have given themselves countless migraines trying to think about these things, rather than merely accepting the revelation given to us. But if you're an anthropocentric humanolater, like Mr. Tillich, you're going to say that this was a quest that mankind embarked on, rather than God giving us revelation which precedes any such quest. But don't let that stop Mr. Tillich. He thinks he's found a dynamic that nobody else has ever talked about, and he's excited to make stuff up about it. For instance, here's another gem of a quote. Cynical relativism usually is a result of a disappointment over utopian absolutism. 
It employs skeptical arguments against absolute principles, but it does not draw either of the two possible consequences of radical skepticism. It neither turns to revelation nor relieves the realm of thought and action altogether, as ancient skepticism often did. Cynicism is an attitude of superiority over or indifference towards any rational structure, whether static or dynamic. Cynical relativism uses reason only for the sake of denying reason, a self-contradiction which is cynically accepted. Oh my goodness. So you see, he's gotten excited and a little too big for his britches, so he's decided he's going to take maybe something that he's observed. Maybe he read about Diogenes. Maybe he read about Nietzsche. He looked at all the cynics in the past and goes, hmm, yes, now it's time to psychologize this so I can get at the core of my humanity god. And so on and so forth he goes throughout the rest of this chapter, trying to ground some sort of ontological reality to reason, which is completely orthogonal at best to the Christian faith and to theology proper, whether systematic or dogmatic. And he goes on and on about this. Next week, we're just going to look at what he says about Revelation. But what's wrong with Mr. Tillich talking about human reason? After all, it's a part of life, right? We all have brains that interact with our minds, and our minds interact with the rest of the world, and we have thought, and we do math and logic, etc., and so forth. It is important. It's an important part of our lives. I won't deny that. But why is this wrong for him to start his theology with it? First, it is because theology is the word concerning God. If you are going to be a Christian theologian, you'd better start with God. Maybe for the sake of method, you start with revelation, with the word of God, and then from there go on to God himself in your theology. You don't start with human reason. This is very important, because what Mr. Tillich is doing is asking how many angels can dance on the head of a pin before he has even verified that angels exist, or said anything about what defines an angel. If you start with man, and if you start with mankind's mind and faculties, then you are starting with philosophy. And if you are starting with philosophy, you are starting with human tradition. You are not doing theology. Unless, of course, you are a humanolater, somebody who worships humanity. Mr. Tillich, in starting with human reason, instead of seeing what is human reason after I have defined everything else in the Christian faith, after I have looked at the Word of God, what it says about us, then you're not relying on a theological source. You are relying on men telling you about men rather than God telling you about man. And thus, his topsy-turvy uh, modernist theology 
opens the door for entire churches out there who don't even talk about God. I'm not kidding. A friend of mine who is also a Lutheran pastor told me once that he went to a liberal Methodist church for a friend. I think he was in seminary at the time, and the pastrix there, of course it was a pastrix, was talking about the Muppets. That was the pastrix's sermon, was the Muppets, and how we can learn from watching the Muppets. Not as a sermon illustration, had nothing to do with the Bible readings for the day, it was just talking about Muppets. There was another pastor in a liberal Lutheran church who decided to make the entirety of his sermon about how to tend a garden and watering your plants. Nothing about the Word of God, nothing about what the Christian faith teaches us, nothing approaching law and gospel. Here's how you water your daisies safely. I kid you not, this is real fruit from Mr. Tillich's ideology. His personal, human-centered theology has given us churches that never get to God because they're so centered around humanity, which is the pre-tradition, pre-word, pre-everything that Tillich wants you to put your faith in before you even touch a Bible. Oh, but he'll talk about Revelation. And again, we're going to get to that next week. But until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.